0: This is Christian Knutson and Sarah Hopeful with your local news. Coming to you live via the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison. Here are tonight's headlines. Governor Tony Evers was endorsed by the Wisconsin Laborers District Council yesterday, reports the Capitol Times. The council represents over 9,000 construction workers in Wisconsin. Its president, John Schmidt, said he, quote, wholeheartedly endorses, unquote, another term for Evers as governor. Evers had designated construction workers as essential during the pandemic, and Schmidt said this is one of the reasons the council is endorsing him. At the event in DeForest, the governor said the council provides important training as an alternative to four-year degrees.
1: The Wisconsin Department of Health Services announced that oral and other COVID-19 treatment options are now widely available across the state. These options include two different antiviral pills, named Paxlovid and Legevrio, as well as monoclonal antibody treatments. The pills need to be prescribed by a doctor or a, quote, test-to-treat, unquote, location. These oral antiviral treatments need to be taken within five days of your first COVID-19 symptom. They can be found at nearly all local pharmacies.
0: More information is emerging about a balcony collapse during the Mifflin Street block party last Saturday, reported the Wisconsin State Journal. In total, about a dozen people fell 15 feet after a rotted support column gave way at 11.30 a.m. Three people were injured, with two treated on site and the other sent to UW Hospital. The balcony had been inspected visually by city inspectors on March 17th. However, because inspectors are not allowed to thoroughly inspect property without an owner's permission, this rotted column was not spotted because it was obscured by another piece of wood. The balcony floor has since been removed and the remaining structure shored up. City building inspectors are conducting an investigation. This building is owned by Burwood Property Management.
1: This summer, Madisonians will be able to drop off food waste as part of a new composting program. Participants can drop off food scraps on Tuesdays at the South Madison Farmers Market starting on June 14th. The city hopes to add another location later this summer. It's another try at a composting program, something the city has been attempting since 2011. This new site was made possible by a $90,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Composting is a great way to reduce the environmental impact of food waste, which can create methane in the atmosphere.
0: And now for our COVID-19 update. There were 830 new COVID cases reported in Wisconsin yesterday, as the percentage of positive tests rose to an average of 9.5% over the past week. Currently 63.5% of people ages 5 and older in Dane County are up to date on their vaccines. Also, there are 24 people in the hospital for COVID-19 and five in the ICU in this county. Just now, the Wisconsin State Journal reported that about 234,000 COVID-19 deaths since June 2021 nationwide could have been prevented with vaccinations, this based on a report from the Kaiser Family Foundation. Last month in Dane County, two people were reported to have died from COVID-19. And now on to today's top stories.
1: As abortion rights continue to be attacked in Wisconsin and across the nation, WRT producer Nate Wegehout spoke with state and local lawmakers earlier today about their reaction to news about the likely U.S. Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade.
2: Late last night, Political reported that they had received a leaked document from the U.S. Supreme Court showing that the court intended to overrule the historic Roe v. Wade. While that memo is not definitive, Justice John Roberts of the U.S. Supreme Court did say that it was legitimate and that it showed the current viewpoint of the court. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion law in Wisconsin would immediately revert to the previous law in the books, banning all abortions with a penalty of up to six years in prison and a 10,000 dollar fine. That law was passed in 1849. It would allow exceptions for when a mother's life is in danger, but would not provide exceptions for incest or rape. Jenny Higgins is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at UW-Madison and is director of the Collaborative for Reproductive Equity. She says that overturning Roe would not prevent abortion, just safe and legal abortion.
3: We know that some Wisconsinites will manage their own abortions. And there are some extremely safe and effective ways of doing this. Since Roe v. Wade passed, there are very safe and effective FDA-approved pills that help manage medication abortion that folks can get online. We also know that there are other kinds of abortion, self-managed abortion modalities that aren't safe or effective. We do anticipate that people will engage in those if they don't know of these other resources. So we are expecting that to happen as well.
2: Higgins continues.
3: So research has documented that people already seek self-managed abortion services from a variety of organizations. A commonly used one is Aid Access. That's a nonprofit organization based in the United Kingdom that provides access to medication abortion by mail to the U.S. and many other countries.
2: As the news broke, Wisconsin politicians from both sides of the aisle responded to the leaked memo. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers took to Twitter to bash the ruling and called for Congress to protect access to abortion and reproductive health care. Jenny Dye is Evers' policy director.
3: The governor and the attorney general uh, earlier this year, uh, along with advocates, From Wisconsin have called on the legislature to overturn Wisconsin's criminal abortion ban um, and certainly are still supportive of the legislature taking that off of the books. Unfortunately, uh, the legislature concluded their session without taking action, but there's still time for them to do the right thing.
2: Also today, Evers announced that he is leading a coalition of state governors calling for Congress to take immediate action to protect reproductive rights and access to abortion. Also today, Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway, along with City Council President Keith Furman and Vice President J.L. Curry, condemned the leaked decision. Mayor Rhodes-Conway says that now is the time to act.
4: I'm just really um, disappointed in the Supreme Court and frankly, in Congress, um, because we've had 50 years in which Congress could have codified um, the right to health care into law, and they haven't yet. And uh, we've just been counting on the Supreme Court to continue to protect our rights, and obviously – We can no longer do that. So it's time for Congress to act.
2: She says that it's not only Congress who should act, but that Madison residents can take steps as well.
4: I think that the the real path forward here is for us to focus on two things. Firstly, to pressure the Senate to do the right thing and to pass uh, laws, including the um, Women's Health Protection Act, I think it is, you know, that, they need to pass that right away. The House has already passed it. Right? They need to codify the right to vote into law. That's the first thing. Right? And then the second thing is that elections matter. And so we need everyone to register to vote and to vote in every election.
2: In January, state lawmakers introduced a bill to remove most abortion restrictions here in Wisconsin, though it was not passed in the latest legislative session. Democratic State Senator Melissa A. Gard of Madison helped to introduce the bill. She says that the legislators' failure to pass the bill led to the situation the state is in today.
5: Wisconsin, unfortunately, because of a 173-year-old law that continues to be on the books, Uh, very likely will be a state where abortion is completely criminalized and uh, we will be an oasis of prohibition for many people to be able to have access to comprehensive, safe, and important health care. And that, to me, is is heinous and, and very disappointing.
2: Senator Agard also says that she recognizes that the overturning of Roe v. Wade will affect everyone in Wisconsin, not just women.
5: The intention to overturn Roe v. Wade will certainly have um, very um, adverse effects on lots of folks, not just women, but um, gender fluid um, folks and, and trans folks who um, do have um, uteruses and reproductive organs that can lead to, to pregnancy. Um, and it's important that we see those folks as well as being harmed by this policy.
2: Democratic State Senator Brad Paff of Onalaska also helped introduce the bill. Earlier today, he called for a special legislative session to pass the bill. You know, that is just something that, uh, you know, we, we can't let stand.
3: I mean, to me, this constitutes an emergency, and not just for women, but for their families as well. It's for all of us. And that's why I think it is important uh, that Governor Evers calls us back into session. We need to address this issue immediately. You know, We need to show women across Wisconsin that we have their backs, uh, that we're willing to fight
2: for them, to protect their rights. Um, I know myself, I mean, I'm going to fight like hell for their rights. And for their reproductive freedoms. Governor Tony Evers has called a number of special sessions while in office for regulation on everything from gun control to education spending. While the governor can call a special session, he cannot force the legislature to act. And with a GOP majority, most sessions have been quickly gaveled in and out. On the flip side of the coin, Republican politicians are praising the apparent intent to overturn Roe v. Wade. Republican candidate for governor Rebecca Kleefisch took to Twitter last night to say, quote, It's about time. Current U.S. Senator Ron Johnson also weighed in. Johnson tells the Wisconsin State Journal that he's concerned not with the content of the decision, but the fact that it was leaked at all. Planned Parenthood is one of the largest providers of abortion here in Wisconsin. Lisa Boyce with Planned Parenthood says that they will help anyone in Wisconsin find a safe and legal way to access abortions.
3: Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, Planned Parenthood's doors will be open across the state. We have 22 health centers across the state, uh, three of which right now provide abortion services, one in Milwaukee, Madison, and Sheboygan, all of our health center doors will remain open and even if we're no longer able to provide safe and legal abortion services in the state of Wisconsin, We will be working with all of our patients who are in need of abortion services to access the care that they need across state lines if necessary and to work with them in providing care as needed when they return home.
2: The court is expected to formally issue a decision this summer. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate wuggie
0: Madison will continue with its recent frigid weather over the rest of this week, but it's likely to heat up this weekend and into next week. W-O-R-T weather producer Caitlin Davis has more about what to expect.
6: Thankfully, this may be our last week of cold weather, for now at least. Today is staying consistent with its rain showers and cloudy cold weather. In the last six hours, there have been a third of an inch of accumulated rain. Not much more is expected as the system moves out of the Madison area. Wind speeds are sitting at 11 miles per hour, and the temperature is sitting at 47 degrees. But due to the wind, it feels about 6 degrees colder than the actual temperature. The humidity is dropping down from earlier today, currently sitting at 80%. The sun had tried to peek its way through those dreadful clouds today and may continue to do so. The pressure in the atmosphere is currently rising from its low earlier today. As the pressure is rising, it is slowly clearing the skies for the evening. Rising pressure indicates calm, clear, and cool weather. It also prevents the formation of clouds, hence why we are going to see clear skies later into the evening. The sun is beginning to rise at 547 a.m., which is making it a lot easier for Madison's earlier birds to get up in the morning. The sun is now setting at 8.01 p.m. and will push later and later. A year ago today, the high was 67 degrees, and the historical average is 64.2 degrees. Yet another week where we are still sitting about 20 degrees shy of the average temperatures here in Madison. The high pressure is continuing into Wednesday. The conditions are expected to stay dry into tomorrow. The clear skies and light winds can cause weather to drop to the 30s on Wednesday morning. As the clouds dissipate, it leaves nothing to absorb the heat that is emitted from the Earth's surface. Thursday is looking to possibly reach 60 degrees, and if the rainfall holds off until the evening, it could very well be a nice day. Friday, we are likely to see pretty persistent rainfall throughout the day. Although the clouds will be throwing shade at us for the rest of the week, temperatures will finally be rising over the weekend into next week, just in time for summer vacation. With your weather report from the WORT station, I'm Caitlin Davis.
1: 6:21 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT.
0: On Sunday, May 1st, during the international holiday known as May Day, Starbucks workers gathered in Madison to rally support for their fight for their ongoing unionization campaign. WORT producer Nate Weggehout and Labor Radio reporter Sean Hagerup have the story. Three Starbucks
2: across Wisconsin are currently fighting for a union, and one in Oak Creek has already been fully unionized. To continue their fight, Starbucks workers gathered on the Capitol Square on May Day to bring the cause to the state capitol. To begin the demonstration, AFL-CIO, South Central Federation of Labor President Kevin Gunlack spoke to the workers.
7: My name is Kevin Gunlack, President of South Central Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO. We are a labor council that consists of 90 unions that represent workers from all walks of life. And all of those workers and all of those unions Support you right here and now and in the future. We're gonna stand with you today, march with you today, and we are gonna be with you every day thereafter. That includes the teachers, the social workers, the building and construction trades, the factory workers, the firefighters, the state workers, city workers, county workers, school district employees, all of the workers, the nurses, we all stand with you. Over, just over ten years ago, as kind of mentioned earlier, we had a, up to 100,000-plus people marching around this square, sleeping in that those quarters. Why? Because we had a union buster that tried to take away our rights and said we couldn't be in a union. And we fought back. Yeah! So workers, yeah. They were told, oh, you can't be in a union. Those workers are in a union. Who's those yeah. public sector workers have decided to meet and confer. they decided we are a union whether you recognize us or not. Yeah! yeah. And one of the chants That we that we uh, marched around And I lost my voice on We're going to do right now <laughs> well, I'm going to do like I did back then So when I say well, I'm going to see what you guys know What's, What's disgusting Union busting What's disgusting Union busting What's disgusting
0: Union busting Yeah
7: Starbucks and recognize these workers today and encourage them yes this isn't about just money if this was about money then they would be saying yeah right on let's be in the union they're the owners here we have tons of companies small and large that are union and they're making record profits So these these people in charge that are giving themselves 20 million a year or more, whatever it is, these billionaires and multimillionaires, it's not about money, it's about money. But there's something (laughs) more, it's about power. They don't want you to have democracy at the workplace. And if they did, maybe they'd like a little bit more money. We know that's true with the workers back then in the public sector when they took away our rights. We saved them money. We found efficiencies in the workplace as workers. And that's what you guys do too. Every company, every small business, every government entity, those people in charge, they should be supporting you. But instead, they don't. They say, no, nah, we wanna be in power. We wanna make all the money. Well, enough is frickin' enough. And you stand here fighting for your rights and we stand with you every step of the way. So thank you for doing this. You are the labor movement and you are are an inspiration to all of the rest of us. Thank you.
2: Next was Caitlin Polka, a Starbucks worker out of the Fox Valley.
8: So I Um, Starbucks really pushed diversity and inclusivity and I was like, I was pumped. I was like in my interview like, I love Starbucks right, I was drinking the espresso (laughs) 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 when I joined that position I was pleased to see that there was one value they have we have a diverse team we practice inclusivity and our partners are some of the best people I've ever met. Right? Yeah. Every single star I have been in, everyone is loving, opening, welcoming, and I love that. That's something that I think is fantastic. But I was so, so, so disappointed to find that the work conditions are, I mean, they're near unbearable. The pay is not good enough for what we're all doing. We deserve better.
0: Yeah! Right?
8: yeah. We deserve, I mean, the earned the labor model Put so much stress on our mental health, right? On our physical health. Yes. It's not okay. No. Right. No. It is not okay. No. Starbucks is us in a position where we have to fight for the ability to have direct communication with corporate. Yes. Right. That's the problem. Starbucks has outgrown its original original mission. Right. To to be there for its partners, to be a third place for its partners. it's just not like i don't know about you guys but i i do not feel welcome in my own store sometimes right i get there i get to work and it's like this aggressive multitasking where you don't have a chance to actually connect with the people that you have in your store right health benefits are completely unattainable i mean like for me my whole paycheck if i wanted to support my family Right, that's not okay. We deserve working conditions where we're able to where we're able to like be with the people that we care about our, our co-workers and we're able to know that everyone should be taken care of. Right? We deserve to be in a place where where we don't feel like numbers, right? Yes. Where we don't show up to work, look at our little play builder, and be like, okay, well, you know, I've put myself into the computer and nobody cares about me. Right? starbucks needs to give us a third place it needs to give us the opportunity to really love working there and to get back to the mission values and in a way i think i don't think corporate is capable anymore of supporting partners in the way it needs to so partners who are unionizing are taking that step to be able to get back to that mission value to make starbucks better starbucks is a very neutral safe place i believe that but we need to make it better Yes. Yeah, it it possible yeah. for the workers, too, to be included in that. Yeah. yeah. All right, all right. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited. I know we're going to get it. We're going to win. I love seeing all the stores popping up and winning and unionizing. I'm so excited. Woo! Yeah.
2: Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wuggy Special thanks to Sean Hagerup for contributing audio to this story.
1: You're listening to Handcrafted Local News here on WORT.
0: Stay with us. We've got a lot more stories for you coming up in the second half of the show. Cardinal Call goes skateboarding on campus.
1: Wildlife Weekly hits the road to look at animal car accidents.
0: And Radio Astronomy looks into space from an airplane.
1: But now we'll take a quick break and check in on some world headlines back in a flash. Time is now 6.33 and you're listening to the local news on WORT. I'm Sarah Hopeful here with Christian Knudsen. Thanks for joining us. Every Tuesday, we check in with the editorial staff over at the Daily Cardinal, one of UW-Madison's student newspapers, to learn the latest news from campus. This week, Cardinal Call producer Hope Carnop spoke with Drake weider a photojournalist with a publication about his new feature about skateboarding on campus.
9: A lot more people, I believe, have started skateboarding. I see it a lot more frequently now than I ever have in my life.
10: Hello and welcome to the Cardinal Call, your weekly dose of news coming out of the UW-Madison campus from the Daily Cardinal Student Newspaper. I'm producer Hope Carnup, joined today by photo editor Drake Whitebergie, who wrote a feature story for our Spring Farewell print edition about the status of skateboarding on a near campus. Welcome to the show, Drake. Thank you. Can you introduce what you wrote about and why you got interested in this topic?
9: Yeah, I wrote about the lack of skate parks um, near Madison and near the UW-Madison campus, I should say, um, and how that doesn't necessarily deter skateboarders. Uh, even though there's still the risk of being fined, um, or at the very least warned by like the police for uh, for skateboarding, I chose the topic uh, because you know I'm I'm like an amateur skateboarder. I'm not very good at it, but I'm passionate about it. And I just figured that's something I haven't really seen talked about necessarily. Um, so I figured if someone if someone would talk about it, and you know, I'm willing to talk about it, I might as well talk about it.
10: How did the people you spoke to for this story characterize the atmosphere of skateboarding in Madison?
9: I think they all had a really positive tone. Donko, the, uh, the student I talked to, he was really passionate about it. He really looked up to it. Talking to him um, seemed like he, both he and I felt like it was really cool to see people out in public doing tricks and showing off and things like that. And then the other two I talked to, uh, Jeff Kopsky and Pat Hasberg, they both seemed very positive about about it in regards to both the increase or the perceived increase um, in popularity of skateboarding and the uh, the work they've been doing through the Madison Skate Park Fund um, making skate parks here in Madison.
10: Could you discuss the legal status of skateboarding in locations on a near campus?
9: Yeah, so uh, through my research, I found that skateboarding on public roadways is illegal in the entirety of Wisconsin, technically. And the city of Madison has a statute that just reiterates that state law for Madison. And then UW itself, the UW Administrative Code, uh, says that skateboarding is uh, illegal on all parts of campus except for designated areas.
10: How has UWPD and the Madison Police Department chosen to enforce or not enforce these policies in the past?
9: From what I was told through my interviews, they used to enforce it a lot harsher um, back in the day especially back in you know the 90s um, and probably into the early 2000s if you got caught you were arrested but over time it seems like they've gotten less harsh about it uh, even though they still do enforce rules if you're skating uh, and they like see you and you're in your library mall or something like that they might kick you out and make you go somewhere else it seems like they rarely find people, um, even though they do still find people. I believe in 2021, they find, or they issued three citations total. And since 2017, I believe it was about 13.
10: You specifically looked at Library Mall and State Street, which are popular places for skateboarders. What would you say are the pros and cons of these locations for both skaters, businesses, and other traffic in those areas?
9: Well, I'll start with the pros. Um, the pros are that... They're just really cool spots to skate in. State Street, being that it's blocked off the most traffic, is a large, relatively flat area with you know a few curbs here and there, which you can do tricks on of, onto and off of. Um, you can do them in the street. Um, you don't have to worry about traffic the most because there isn't really much traffic. Uh, Library Mall again is a large, flat area with stairs and railings and curbs and things like that that you can do tricks onto and off of. If you're a really good skateboarder, there's also an audience there to see you do your tricks. You know, there's people everywhere, there's students, there's people going shopping, things like that. But uh, as for the cons, I'd say, one, you know, there's always the kind you might get hurt doing it, but that's that's a given anywhere you go. Um, otherwise, uh, by skateboarding, you know, you can do damage to things like like the railings and the curbs and so forth that you skate on. And that's something that both, you know, like UW administration, the police and business owners don't like. If you're skating in front of a store on State Street um, and you're messing up their curb or you know their storefront or something like that, uh, I'd say that's probably one of the cons. That and the traffic, um, because there are so many people uh, and on State Street specifically, there's bikes and buses. And there's always the risk that there's a bus coming and you're in the middle of the road you know, with your headphones in or something. And that's always a dangerous situation.
10: What are some of the designated skate parks in Madison and what are some of the obstacles for students getting to these locations?
9: Well, there's a handful of designated skate parks um, in Madison. All or nearly all of them have been built through the efforts of the Madison Skate Park Fund. The closest to campus is Goodman Skate Park. It's about two miles away from campus uh, over on the other side of the Isthmus. And then there's the skate park at Warner Park um, and then the one at Elvine Park. And, you know, those ones are quite a ways away from campus. Um, you'd have to take, you know, an hour or more bus ride to get to those spots. Uh, whereas Goodman Skate Park, you know, being a couple miles away, it's, as a student, you could make it there. It's a you know, decent walk or you could skate there, or you could bike there. But when you have classes, uh, you know, you have classes throughout the day, it can be quite a hike to try and make it just if you want to skate between classes or after classes or even on the weekend, you know, if you want to go out and skate, you could either do it right outside your front door or library mall, or you can make it all the way over to Goodman Skate Park, which is still a decent distance to go.
10: You also talked to the Madison Skate Park Fund. What did they say are some of the obstacles to potentially getting a skate park a little bit closer to campus or even on campus?
9: Yeah, they said that uh Pat Hasberg um the spokes dude for the funds said that he he would love um for the funds to you know, have a skate park closer to campus you know that's their goal is to make skating more accessible more accessible in a safe manner for people throughout the city the UW Madison campus included but they said that I should uh, preface it with they've worked with the city for most of these they've had to find locations they've had to raise money um, they've had to you know work to actually build the skate parks um with the city and the UW Madison campus being governed by UW Madison um, with the oversight of the state government and so on and so forth, is a lot more layers of bureaucracy and red tape to go through. Uh, I believe uh, Pat had said that it would be like working uh, with a city within a city, just with the levels of government and you know bureaucracy and oversight and agencies that you'd have to go through for that.
10: You also took some photos as part of this article. How do you think those contribute to the overall story that you're telling with this article?
9: In terms of my photos specifically, um, you know, I interviewed Donko Rick, and you know, I just thought it'd be really cool to go and get photos of him, you know, doing some tricks. As for photography as a whole, I believe photography, and um, videography have been long-standing, you know, central parts to the ska- to skating culture. You now you go. Huge magazines and brands like Thrasher have been built on these cool images of people, you know, doing tricks and you know, f- gliding through the air on their skateboards, making the cool videos with your fisheye lens um, at home. If you you and your friends skateboarding down some railings or the sidewalk or on on staircases has always been a pretty pretty central part of of the of the skating community.
10: Is there anything else you think listeners should know about the skateboarding community in Madison? Anything else you reported on?
9: I think I would encourage anybody in Madison to pick up a skateboard. If you don't have one already, uh, there's places throughout Madison, you could get them like a uh, Freedom Skate Shop uh, on State Street and you know, other places. And just go get a skateboard, practice some tricks in your driveway or something like that, get some friends and then head out and skate. It's really fun. It's, it's cool. You can learn a lot. You feel good doing it. And it just gets your adrenaline pumping. A lot more people, I believe, have started skateboarding. I see it a lot more frequently now than I ever have in my life. And I think it's something that everybody should take part in.
10: Thank you for coming on the show, Drake. Thank you. That's all for our Cardinal Call this week. We'll catch you back here soon. Our final print edition of the academic year, The Spring Farewell Issue, is on stands now and available digitally on our website. Check out more news and stories at dailycardinal.com. This has been The Cardinal Call, created by student journalists at UW-Madison.
0: it's time to buckle up because on tonight's wildlife weekly feature contributor jackie sandberg discusses the serious issue of car accidents and animals
11: welcome to wildlife weekly my name is jackie sandberg and i'm the wildlife program manager for the dane county humane society here in madison wisconsin Each week we choose a topic related to wildlife rehabilitation or the environment, and today I want to talk about vehicular accidents with wildlife. Now, a vehicular accident, meaning like a car accident with wildlife, is really probably the most common injury type that we see at Dane County Humane Society. Now, different species are maybe at more or higher risk to being hit by cars. And it's definitely a situation that a number of the public come to and ask like, okay, how many species, um, how many animals every year? You know, are car accidents uh, a big deal for wildlife rehabilitators? Well, yeah, they really, really are. And Our most common species that we will seem to admit really varies among animals that are different types of species, from mammals to reptiles to birds. So I thought it would be fun to run a report in our wildlife system here to talk about what are our top five species and how many in the last, you know, 10 years or so have we seen. So the top five species that we have admitted with the circumstance of rescue, including hit by car accident or hit by a motorized vehicle, the first and top of everything is an eastern cottontail rabbit, most of which are adults. But we've actually since 2013, or actually more 2014, because our data, we started using a new program in 2013, Uh, we've seen almost a thousand rabbits that have been admitted to our wildlife center that were just here because of being hit by cars. So that's our number one species to date from our wildlife center. And then next comes the turtles. We have the common snapping turtle, which we've seen 670 of, and the Western painted turtle, which is 605 of those. So turtles, probably the most common hit by car accident, especially in the spring, as they are coming out of hibernation and they are finding an area so that they can build a nest and lay their eggs, uh, which is you know just right in this time period here now in the state of Wisconsin. For sure, and then we move on to some birds. Uh, red-tailed hawks is actually our top four of species being admitted by car strikes. Uh, 574 of them since 2014 have been admitted. Hawks. Why why do we see hawks? And owls are also going to be a little lower on the list, but we see them because they are probably in very perilous areas. So, you know, just like our turtles trying to cross roads to get to places, hawks are going to be very common along roadsides, but for a completely different reason. Yes, sometimes they might be uh, nesting on things like power poles or telephone poles or trees that are kind of nearby fragmented areas, but we actually find that red-tailed hawks really enjoy hunting along the roadsides, meaning that they will uh, sit on a wire or branch or some other pole or something nearby a road, because that has created a barrier for our tiny little rodent species like mice that are their favorite foods, and also rabbits, which apparently seem to cross roads a lot as well. They're going to be blocked off from easily being able to cross roads, especially major barriers like highways um, or interstates, and so we see the red-tailed hawk very commonly sitting and perching and just waiting to find a mouse that gets to the roadside and then doesn't want to cross. And so they tend to spend a lot of time hunting there, but when you have large vehicles that have a lot of momentum, you know, the high speeds we have on highways, unfortunately, that can kind of create a vacuum-like effect where that wind speed actually can kind of suck them towards a car uh, if they get too close, where they might tumble underneath, or if they are really be-lined on trying to catch something and it just gets, you know, the same time that a car gets to where they're trying to capture a mouse on the road edge, uh, you could definitely see them being glanced. I would say that's more common for our owls. I get a lot of folks that will admit an owl and say, oh my gosh, it was like early dawn or dusk and this owl flew really low on the roadside just across the highway and got hit by the car, they tend to beeline on their prey. And so they know exactly where they're headed and it could be in the median, for example, and they might just have an eyeball on it and say, yep, that's where I'm going. And then they don't deviate from that path as much as actually hawks would would do. So they're actually in our top 10 uh, for barred owl and great horned owls being hit by cars, but not quite in our top five. Our last, uh, the top five species is the Virginia possum. And so that has, we've had 414 of those admitted since 2014, uh, hit by car. And we find that a lot of times this might include an adult possum with babies. So many times it's a female possum that might have a dozen little babies in the pouch Um, and because they're marsupials you know they have quite a few babies with them and so I think that increases the number that we actually see because it's not just the single possum crossing the road slowly, it's the mom possum plus all of her babies. And so I think that's why we see so many in our area. Otherwise, the rest that are kind of on our top ten, we've got eastern gray squirrels, uh, American robins do tend to hit cars sometimes and then mallard ducks you know right now we're in the prime time for uh, duck breeding season and obviously all of our little ducks laying eggs and things well they have a tough time when they get separated on the roadways from their parents so this might be the time where you're finding orphaned ducklings if they've been separated from their group and major barriers just like roadways can definitely cause that problem so be on the lookout for orphaned ducks and for turtles right now too coming out and what what should you do well definitely be aware of what You're doing when you're driving. If you happen to see an animal and it's a very busy highway, don't put yourself in danger. Don't put your car or your vehicle or other people in uh, risk of being hit or injured themselves, even to try to rescue an animal. So we really suggest, as a wildlife center, that we have folks call their local police department so they can turn on their lights and emergency services can come out to help with an animal trying to cross the road, or our Dane County Animal Services to potentially help pick up something that is on the road. Now, if you do hit something, did you know that you can actually report certain species to the Wisconsin DNR's uh, website. They actually do like to have reports come in about people who have hit deer, for example, which is the most common that might cause increased traffic fatalities in people as well. Or if the carcass is very large and it's sitting on the road, it can cause another accident. But they also take reports for things like bear or turkeys. And then otherwise, if the if the animal is is still alive, it, it could be a case for rehabilitation. Generally, we're going to recommend that anytime that an animal has had some kind of severe impact trauma, because that impact trauma is going to cause things that might not be obvious on the outside, but really on the inside, there can be hemorrhaging, you know, internal bleeding. Maybe you can't see a beak fracture uh, from a bird that has just, you know, been sideswiped or glanced by that car. Any vital organ that gets impacted from that type of trauma could really decreases chance of being able to survive after a car accident. So I mean this is the same for people too, but it obviously our bodies are different and they're flying if they're birds. Uh, for mammals they might be walking, but they're being either run over by the car. Turtles also the same you kind of hit a road bump almost. Whereas birds we tend to see a lot of our injuries on one side. So if they were flying and on their left side they got hit, you might see fractures of the wing bones, the leg bones, the body cavity like the ribs or the keel, shoulder girdle, and then the hemorrhaging, uh, internal damage can kind of start on one side. And then if, you know, if they have blood loss anywhere 20 to 25% over a couple of minutes, even it can be fatal. So you never know. Um, but if that animal's still alive, you know, definitely trying to get it to a rehabilitator, knowing that, if they are experiencing internal trauma, there might not be anything even we couldn't do, even though we tend to say we've got really great medical care, we can't save every every single one. And so those car accidents really are the hardest ones for us, I think, as rehabilitators. You know, if you're not sure, you know, signs of that type of trauma could be, you know, blood loss, if you see it, obviously, Uh, maybe really pale skin, like they're anemic, you know, they're they might have increased cardiac, like heartbeats or respiratory rates, or the opposite could be low as well. They don't have enough blood pumping through, and just general weakness. Maybe open mouth breathing and you know general fear, which all wildlife are going to be afraid. But also with this restraint, they might not. Runaway. So it's a really tough time for wildlife. that do get hit by cars. It's not an easy thing. Sometimes we're able to help and able to fix something like a broken bone. Um, but it, it really depends on how fast the car was going, you know, where the vehicle interacted with the animal. And then hopefully the time that that animal is able to be admitted to a rehabilitation center to get quick medical emergency services. So hopefully you don't run into any wildlife this spring on the roadways, but as we know, everybody probably will at some point in their lives. So be ready and have numbers handy in your phone. Maybe save them into your phone. Dane County Humane Society's Wildlife Center at 608-287-3235. And then maybe Dane County Animal Services. If you live here in the Madison area or in Dane County, uh, you can definitely call their number at 608- 255-2345, extension 6 for Animal Services. Otherwise, thanks for listening. This has been a segment on WORT. Uh, So thanks for listening, and we hope you've had a great time listening to Wildlife Weekly.
0: It's now 6.52 p.m., and you're listening to the live local news on WORT.
11: On
1: this week's Radio Astronomy, host Melissa Morris shares what can be learned from stargazing with telescopes set up on airplanes.
12: Astronomy is approaching the end of an era, the era of telescopes poking out the side of airplanes. Welcome to Radio Astronomy, folks. My name is Melissa Morris, and today we're going to talk about one of astronomy's most interesting and bizarre telescopes, the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA. Recently, NASA announced that it will be halting funding to this fantastic flying telescope by the end of September, so I decided it would be nice to take a look at SOFIA and some of the exciting discoveries it made. First, let's talk a little bit about SOFIA and its unique setup. Like I mentioned before, this telescope is inside of a plane. A Boeing 747, to be exact. A pretty typical commercial airplane. However, this plane is anything but typical. You see, SOFIA is a telescope with a 2.5 meter primary mirror. That is over 8 feet wide. For reference, that's about the same size as the Hubble Space Telescope's primary mirror. Putting a telescope that large inside of a commercial airplane is no small feat, and in fact, the plane has several modifications to allow for observing. The most noticeable is the large door in the side of the plane that slides open during flight to allow the telescope to actually take observations. The telescope itself is situated on a special mount in the aircraft that's designed to keep the vibrations and movement of the plane from interfering with the telescope's tracking so why bother going through all of the trouble of putting a telescope roughly the size of hubble in a plane well the question is fairly straightforward and similar to why hubble itself is in space to avoid the atmosphere Oh, the atmosphere. It's great because it allows us to, you know, breathe and live on this beautiful planet we call home, but it's simultaneously the astronomer's worst enemy. After all, you're not going to see much in space if the sky is full of clouds. Even on a clear night, the atmosphere interferes with light coming from space, distorting it such that getting a clear image can be incredibly difficult. Additionally, because of everything in the atmosphere, such as various water molecules, it makes searching for these molecules in space even more difficult. We can see objects in the visible range of wavelengths in space, all right here on Earth, but if we try to look for light that's outside of what humans can see, it gets difficult. This is particularly true at infrared wavelengths, where much of the light is being absorbed by molecules in our atmosphere, keeping that light from ever reaching us here on the ground. As you might imagine, this makes observing anything in the infrared really difficult. This is where Sophia comes in. One quick and easy way to get around that pesky atmosphere is to simply fly above most of it. Flying in a Boeing 747, Sophia is able to avoid roughly 99% of the Earth's atmosphere that would otherwise block incoming infrared light. This unique setup has given SOFIA access to some outstanding and exciting scientific opportunities. Because SOFIA avoids so much of the Earth's atmosphere and is able to avoid water molecules in the air, observing much of the light coming from space, it can search for these molecules in unexpected locations, like on the moon. In October of 2020, NASA announced that SOFIA had observed water molecules in one of the moon's largest craters that was lit by the sun. This is especially interesting because at the low pressures of the moon, any water is expected to be immediately evaporated into space, However, the discovery of trace amounts of water indicate that it can be trapped by some mechanism that allows it to stay on the surface of the moon. This observation was possible because of Sophia's unique observing capabilities. Of course, this isn't the only discovery Sophia has made. It has observed the birthplaces of new stars, seen how magnetic fields in distant galaxies affect them, and identified complex molecules that form in the vacuum of space. So why is NASA no longer funding it? The answer largely boils down to funding priorities. At the beginning of each decade, a group of representatives of the astronomical community get together to discuss what the scientific priorities and goals of that decade should be, and what kind of projects should be funded to achieve those goals. For this decade, the report was released last year, and sure enough, SOFIA was one of the lowest priorities. While this telescope has enabled exciting scientific discoveries, its high price tag has ultimately been its downfall. After eight years of observing, SOFIA will be permanently grounded in September of this year. However, there are still exciting new observatories on the horizon, and with the James Webb Space Telescope being mere months away from acquiring scientific data, astronomy is on the precipice of a new era of discovery and learning about our universe. That's all for Radio Astronomy today, folks. Tomorrow evening, if the weather is nice, we'll be opening up Washburn Observatory for public viewing. So come on down and take a look through this 140-year-old telescope. Thanks for listening. My name is Melissa Morris, and I am wishing you a stellar week.
0: And that does it for our show. Thank you for listening to WORT's Live Local News at 6. Your headline writer this evening was Heron Splinter.
1: Your weather producer was Caitlin Davis.
0: Special thanks to feature contributors Jackie Sandberg, the Radio Astronomy crew, and the editorial staff at The Daily Cardinal.
1: Super Dave Lawrence and an engineered the show.
0: Nate helped produced this newscast.
1: And Charlie Pittman is the news director at WORT. I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. Stay up to date with the WORT Local News Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and
0: wherever else you get your podcasts. And I'm your host, Christian Knutson. Up next is Spanish language news with the Nuestro Patio. Good night.